This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to 3, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Novak Djokovic has capped his 2022 season with a title at the year-end championships in Turin, his sixth career title at this event, tying Roger Federer for the record. It's the first time he's won it in seven years since 2015, and uh, he did it in a fashion that not everyone does it, which is sweeping it. He went undefeated. This is the only tournament you can win uh, and also lose a match, but Novak uh, beat everyone in his path. Uh, last time we spoke, he was 2-0. and Since then, he beat Medvedev in that final round-robin match. He beat Taylor Fritz in the semis. He beat Kasparud in the final, and uh, there's plenty to get into when it comes to this Novak Djokovic run, and uh, we are about to do it. Let's start with the final. Djokovic wins it 7-5, 6-3, unless I'm re- misremembering and it was 6-4. Um, Joel, what stood out to you? as the, the areas where, where Novak was able to get the best of Rude and dictate the match. So efficient. It's efficiency. Cashes in his first set points in the first set. Um, breaks serve fairly early in the second. Match championship point. Ace down the tee. And his serve. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Novak serve surfaces more and more in his game. Yesterday, nine aces, no double faults. Won sixty nine percent of his second serve points. That's that's pretty. I think Pete Sampras would like those numbers. I thought that it shows once again that Novak can win any number of ways. The fact that he was not feeling his best is almost scary because if he had been feeling his best, what would the score be? You guys asked me before we hit record on this podcast if I enjoyed the final. I mean, sure, I I love watching Novak play, but to me, the final wasn't really in question, and it was a mismatch on this surface, and therefore, I didn't enjoy it as much as some of the previous matches, like the Fritz match. In terms of Novak's performance, I thought, agree with Joel, the serving was fantastic. 71% of first serves in, which is even a little higher than what you'd want, because typically if it's that high, it means you're not going for enough on your first serve. But the caveat is if it's working for you and you're winning a sky high percentage of first serve points one and second serve points one, then you're doing everything right, which he did uh, yesterday. I mean, all tournament long, Novak's first serve points, one percentages have been through the roof. And yes, that was kind of a theme in these conditions for all players just dominating on their first serve. Um, But it was actually the lengthy rallies and the second serve points that that I think was so problematic for Rude and helpful for Djokovic in winning this match. I mean, you mentioned the 71% second serve points won for Djokovic. That's 
that's way too high a number. You're never going to break serve if if you're in Rude's position there. And by the way, uh, did you get a chance to look at Novak's average speed on second serves? 86 miles per hour. I mean, he was he was spinning it in, and he won 71% of points. Well, this well, no, he won. He, that's right. Well, this has to do the whole thing with Novak, which is so impressive to me, is his ability to understand his controls of how he can vary speeds and tempo. And it gets to some of the questions that we're going to always talk about. Well, what's better? It's like the talk we had about Nadal, the Nadal serve. Is the Nadal serve better than the this serve or the that serve? But it's about the deployment and the awareness of the returner. And I think Novak's studious qualities are so attuned. I mean, I think, I'm sure he was serving his first serve less faster, getting a lot in because Rude is a different type of returner than some other people. And it's going to be interesting to see how service returners address Novak in, let's say, the next three years in this phase of Novak's of post-age 35 stage of his career. Well, I think the really elite servers have a number of different second serves in their pocket. And the mentality is kind of like, I'm not going to serve you a hundred mile an hour second serve if I don't have to. So I'm going to give you the most reliable sort of spin it in slow kind of second serve that I can give you until you show me that I can't get away with that anymore. So uh, Rude just wasn't attacking the second serve. They were getting into extended rallies on those second serve points. And Novak was getting the best of him, even not feeling his best. Yeah. yeah. Rude's thing is how do you, how do I really press Novak? And I think this gets to some developmental things of how, and, and Rude admitted that Rude admit. Root spoke very thoughtfully in his press conference about skills he needs to build. I mean, he didn't go deep into them like he was at some teaching conference, but he's aware of how he needs to probably dimensionalize his game. And he's 23 and we'll see. And I, and I think one of the things that the, that the three have shown us is that instead of, you know, for a lot of pros, it was, you only live once. Then you see some of the really great ones. They live twice. You know, they have a second phase. Maybe with these guys, you live three times, you know, have three shots. At, at reinvention at I mean it'd be interesting to look at the you know the length of the career and all the ways all the um most of all the ways everyone can afford there's more money now so they can afford pit crews that can keep them physical and therefore build the skills like no he could really afford it now <laughs> as if yeah, he couldn't he won, before he won well in excess of four million dollars just in this one tournament alone and I think he passed the career earnings of 160 million wow. It used to be, you know, God, I've been around it so long. I remember it was sort of a a big thing when a um when a when a player would have uh, reached like a million in career earnings. That was like, you know, wow, a million in career earnings. That's impressive. Impressive. Now it's like, you know, fantastic. Yeah. Well, um, I I I think the forehands were interesting here. We've talked about. Djokovic's forehand maybe being a little bit underlooked. We talked about uh, whether or not Novak, when the ball comes to his backhand, if she, he should accept backhands or if he should run around and hit forehands. This was a match he was extremely aggressive and assertive with his forehand. It was an incredible weapon. And that is one area, Joel, where uh, Rude's development has always been ahead of the curve is he has a massive forehand. The forehand winner stat in this match, 15 to four 
Djokovic. Amy, why do you think, like, that's a stat to me. If Rude wants to win the match against Novak, he needs to win that category. And yeah. he, almost, he almost got tripled up. With his with his quality of forehand, Rude's. Um, and the winners overall was, I don't remember what it was, but that jumped out to me in the box score. Um, I I was, like, really blown away with, we, t- we talked on the previous podcast about in balls that are hit to zone C, which is the zone of the court where you could either choose to hit your backhand or you could run around and hit forehand. What really blew me away is that in the first set, Novak clearly was not feeling well and was hitting a lot of backhand down the line. And in the second set, he started to feel a little bit better and he was running around and hitting a little more inside out forehand cross court so i was just astounded that he could change tactics on a dime and um, employ totally different strategies especially with the backhand down the line because i think he was just trying to shorten points there and both strategies worked well his footwork i was thinking as we were about this federer is an a plus in the footwork technique department Nadal is an A-plus in the foot speed get-to-the-ball department. So Novak, as the combo, it's the combination of both. I'm not saying Federer is slow, and I'm not saying Nadal is is you know sloppy. I'm just saying Novak's ability to do both. And so Rude, yeah, he can hit foreign winners against a great many people. But now the way Novak move, gets, moves to the ball and then does something to it, because you're not going to hit two big forehands against me. You know, he's not just reaching the ball, Novak. He's throwing it back, saying like, like he did. <clears throat> um, yes, yeah, sometimes he, on some points, he just went, his ins- Novak's inside four into Rude's backhand. Let's, let's do that. Let's that do that. That was huge, wasn't it? <clears throat> yes. That really, yeah. So let's talk about that. When Novak is on the run on his backhand, his, this, this might be his signature shot. This might be the shot that defines him more than any other shot. Novak hits that open stance drive backhand where he shows this unbelievable balance and strength and flexibility and timing uh, and and that technique. He's just, he has it down pat. Rude doesn't attempt that shot. It's not, it's not in the tool bag. And generally he slices his backhand when he's on the run to his left. I almost feel like this is an example of, of Novak in his technical proficiencies, like he's at a at an A level and Rude is still kind of in middle school. He's still kind of at that B level where, look, there's nothing horrific about slicing your backhand when it's on the run, but it's certainly not as good as being able to crush the ball with an open stance. Well, and Rude would admit that. Rude admitted that yesterday. He knows, he knows, yeah, he's in the he's in the here and now phase of his um of his lower division entry into the elite. For a guy who finished the year number three, but he's he's three. He's not one. Well, Novak's five, but that's that's a whole other question. I just, <laughs> you know, but uh, Rude knows that, and I think that he knows that. And so he knows, hmm, want to beat some of these other guys. It's not going to be a matter of just absorbing and redirecting and slicing down the line, having it bring it back to the forehand. He's going to have to learn how to hit. And, and Novak, by the way, <clears throat> yeah, he'll run around his backhand and hit his forehand inside against Rude. I don't think he's so keen on doing that against Nadal who can then hit a certain kind of foreign down the line. 
that's going to just obliterate him. Very true. <clears throat> or, or I think even against Medvedev, who might be so good at changing direction with that backhand down the line, he'd rather stay in position and, and hit a backhand. But yeah, it, he knows if he hits his inside out forehand, Rude isn't going to rip a backhand down the line to beat him. A absolutely uh, spot on there. I think um, with the absence of Federer and Novak returning to what I think will should be a, 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 a complete schedule next year. You know, we kind of undersaw Novak this year. I mean, he missed two majors, two swings in North America. I mean, a, a lot less Novak. But I think with him present more and Federer absent, I think we're going to be able to see a lot more of the chess-like aspects of what the Novak game is going to see. Oh, I see. This is what it's been up to all these years, this way of playing and and how he uses it and how he's going to deploy it against a younger generation that studied him and all that. Because there's these new kind of players emerging. They're not, Novak's not playing the kind of the Novak clones, the way Nishikori, Gofan, you know, who are kind of like cutting his, now some different types of weaponry are emerging. Let's talk about Djokovic's uh, physical challenges. Start of this match, laundry list of evidence that he he wasn't feeling well. Uh, we saw, I think, a lot of that in the Medvedev match, which I think we I want to get back to. Um, I saw uh, some buzz that he had an eye infection, nothing from an incredibly reputable source. I mean, Amy, what was your read on what was going on with Novak, if anything? Or, or maybe he was he was fine and just a, a little bit off. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not quite sure what to make of it. Obviously, he he came through it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I have no idea. And the one thing I saw was like a trembling. His hand was trembling pretty bad during a changeover. And that's not something you can fake. So I don't know, you know, just whatever it was, who on the planet would want to play a tennis match, a high level tennis match feeling that way. And yet he was able to rely on just really good tactics, good scouting and his, his tenacity and his drive and his, you know, willingness to fight through really difficult circumstances. I called my story after covering it. I call, I started, I call it three days in Turin. I go, is that a thriller? Is that a romantic comedy? But that was kind of, you look at those last 72 hours of that tournament, those those three matches, the third set tiebreaker with Medvedev, it's 7-6, seven, 7-6 six, seven, six with Fritz, nearly two hours. <clears throat> and then the final, and, and the final was actually was less dramatic than the prior two. But uh, yeah, where Novak is, 
where Novak is physically. And, and remember, he is he is 35, and that doesn't mean he's – I mean, he's as fit as a 35-year-old as you can imagine. But mm-hmm. his tennis and – I don't know. We'll probably never know. We'll never know the full extent of his or, – or even half the extent of what was going on with him physically. He said after the Medvedev match specifically <clears throat> that he didn't want to talk about it uh, because he really had no interest in his opponents knowing, uh, which, yeah. which was completely fair. So I was curious to see if he was going to um, chat about it after the final. Joel, you saw the transcript. Was uh, Were there any questions about uh, what was going on with Novak, how he was feeling at the beginning of that final? That you can I don't recall? recall. I sound like a I sound like a Senate witness. I do not. <laughs> I did not recall. I did not know I was going to be marshaled. Gail, it's a pop quiz you're giving me, and I saw the uh-huh. transcript 19 hours ago. Oh my God! Uh-huh. Um, I don't recall that. Okay. But there was a lot of other thoughtful stuff from Novak about the tennis, and a lot about his year, about his year, and like he and and, and I think was we all saw in the awards he called it a roller coaster year, and and Goran Ivanovic gave a press conference which was pretty thoughtful about the, you know, maybe they meant for him to win it. You know, it's like, there's a whole sent It's great about tennis. All these, every, every player camp is the center of the universe. You know, it's like, that's, that's the way tennis works. Every ten, you know, every, no, no tennis players see not, no few tennis players see, see the world beyond themselves. So this so you see Gordon, this was meant to be for Novak, you know, which I guess it was. Well, he also had that serve that we talked about at the beginning of the show which was, I think, key early in the rude match when he wasn't feeling well. Key in the Medvedev match in the third set where he really was struggling physically. That serve is such a get-out-of-jail card, especially in these conditions where he can you know, focus on holding and winning the quick points, preventing uh, the matches from, from getting physical uh, just with that delivery. With who would have thought who would have thought that Novak Djokovic early in his career would begin to emerge as one of the greatest spot servers ever in the game um really starting to challenge Roger Federer on this front and I'll be super interested to see what creativity he brings in this area of his game in 2023 you you just read my mind, Amy. I was thinking about Federer and again with Roger gone, as far as like the teachable service motion and deployment. Um, I think Novak is kind of the top of the class right now among the active players. I mean, Federer has been the kind of the model for years, and Federer could also turn it on. I think in the 09 Wimbledon final, he hit 50 aces in Wimbledon final, but still wow. 50. Yeah. But and Federer had that kind of he could reach that quantum level. I don't necessarily see Novak doing that or necessarily needing that, but not about aces, but about your, you use the word spot, like pinpointing and, and then set and, and, and his plus one in the forehand and the backhand, you think, how, where am I, where's my safe neighborhood hitting to this guy? Where do you say, where do you safely hit to Novak and, and, you know, continue the point. And then with it serving well, hmm, it's gonna be tough. It is. I'd love to see the Hawkeye data. Uh, that can definitively show where everyone is at in terms of spot serving and accuracy, because I mean, it just popped in my mind. I wish, I wish we could quantify that, uh, which we, the technology is there that we can. Um, I'd, I'd just love to see that. So I just want to throw that out there. Well, um, the, though, like Novak earlier in his career, he had some 
technical glitches and hitches with the take back. Yeah. And, and then there was this, the, the elbow thing a few years ago that probably hurt the serve again in ways we'll never fully know, but stuff was, stuff was amiss. And now that is, um, that is one sweet motion. And shout out to Goron who, who is just the guru in that area and Novak and Marion Vida, they have all showered, uh, even Isevich with praise for the work that he's done with that Djokovic serve. Well, and remember, even Isevich was the one who helped Chilich when Chilich won the U.S. Open. He helped Chilich's serve. And so that would be interesting um, to talk sometime with even Isevich just about how he goes about that serve. I mean, granted, you're taking a player who's already a world-class player and then refining it, but still. That Medvedev match I is fascinating. I want to talk about it because uh, psychologically, I thought there was a huge advantage for Medvedev coming in. He's 0-2. He had just lost two really tough matches. Obviously wanting to get on the board, getting that win over Novak that he was so close to in Astana before that unfortunate injury. To me, this felt like a, an important match for Medvedev that he was going to come in motivated for. Novak, meanwhile, 2-0 already in the semifinal, having to play that semi the next day and facing a guy who's so good at making things physical and making you suffer. It was a terrible spot for Novak, and I thought he'd lose. He wins it uh, in a three-set war. How does he get the motivation, the drive, and the will to win that match? You mean given given the circumstances, you know, it's funny, and and we know there are probably cases of some pragmatism of players in Novak's position. I'm in the round. I'm guaranteed in the semis. Maybe I'll do something. Maybe I'll serve and volley every point because it's kind of like a freebie. You know, it's like a, a what is it like a mulligan in golf or something. But I hand it to him. I hand it to him for he he wanted to compete. He wants match play. I think in my uh, when I was thinking about these these three days, I think this is kind of a of a catalyst. I remind you of something uh, Winston Churchill once said, is this the beginning of the end? He says, no, it's the end of the beginning. And I think this is kind of a, a prologue to something Novak wants to put in place for next year, even though it's several weeks away, to just kind of an emphatic statement of, I'm here. And I, I, I beat all five of you guys this week. Any questions? And if that means he had to labor and suffer versus a very yeah, driven opponent, so be it. I just thought the margins were super close in both the Medvedev and Fritz match. And some of it, it occurred to me that some of it would have to come down to scouting, advanced scouting. Like we were talking about the placement of his serves earlier and the spot serving. So he'll get a report on Medvedev that, from his data people that have been looking at Daniel's matches thus far in the tournament to look at his tendencies. And the report will say something like, if you serve Medvedev out wide on the deuce side, then 70% of what you're going to get back is going to be in X zone of the court. So the fact that he uses this data and he processes it and does his homework and knows this going into the match, that could give him just this little bit more of edge in his decision-making and, um, 
it occurred to me that possibly that was the difference in both those two matches. I Don't agree. they all have it? Well, no. But they they, all... they they all have access to it. They all their coaches all have access to Hawkeye. There's there's a portal where you can get in. But when you log into Hawkeye, it is such a plethora of information and charts and tabs and stuff like this that for some players, they just they don't want to see it. The, even the coaches are sometimes confused by it and you actually need a really good data person to come in and kind of synthesize it for you and make it into nuggets and then perhaps that person communicates to the coach or directly with the player and it's really just these very refined nuggets but a lot of players don't even use it the way you describe it makes you think of those binary docu documents you see from like computer programming with ones and zeros and, and slashes. But I think I agree all that comes into play. And I think there's also something, a little bit of the mission Novak was on this week. It's like, in case you guys forgot, in case you guys forgot, and 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 he knew his fighting, you know, Medvedev, who's been number one in the world this year, Taylor Fritz, you know, making big plays and, and make it's, Coming the number one American and all these things are like saying, you'll be the one who blinks, buddy. I mean, because both those matches, I mean, the third set tiebreak, mm -hmm. two tiebreaks in the other, a seven-five. So that means Novak played um four straight overtime sets to finish the tournament. Wow. And actually, is it five? Wasn't the second set with Medvedev a tiebreaker also, Gil? I think it was. I think it was. So five straight overtime sets and he and he lost. He lost the second set to Medvedev, I, I think. And was so, in a tiebreak. Right. So, but in each of, it, the whole thing, there's there's the data, there's the knowledge, there's the technique, and then there's that kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Okay, what have you got? Who's going to blink? I love my favorite Jimmy Connors line. He'd hear about some rising young player, told about it, and he said, what's he got? And it's kind right. of like the I mean ultimate line. What's he got? Yeah, and and when you get into a war, sometimes it's about it's it's a gut check. Uh, right. You know, you kind of throw out some of the the tactical stuff and the technical stuff, where it's like, how strong are you in that position? Like that's what amazed me about that Djokovic Medvedev match is. I I really just thought most players would have uh, thrown in the towel essentially. Um, like the fact that Djokovic fought as hard as he did for that third set kind of blew me away. I mean, obviously Medvedev served for the match. Um, so yeah, I mean, to me, it was, it was a gut check and I'm, I thought it was the, it was the spirit of rivalry that pushed him ahead. It was, Absolutely. it was, this is about me versus Daniil. And that's why this means a lot to me because when we play, that means a lot to me. That's right. And it, now granted, I think that stuff factors in tactics and all that, but it's, there's also that point about it's like, we're just we're gonna play the point now. We know all this stuff about each other and all this cognition, and that's good. And we and we're both look the technique of both of these guys. They're great players. And then it's kind of like, okay, who's gonna blink? Here I come. Here I come. Deal with. It. And that that's kind of what makes competition so exciting. But uh, I think that's the thing. Novak said you're gonna blink because I'm the boss. I think Danielle has a lot of work to do in the off season because at this point in the rivalry. Novak has edged ahead. He's made that pretty clear. So it, it'll it be interesting to see what Medvedev does in the offseason. Does he improve his volley, his net game? 
does he improve the accuracy of his forehand? We'll see. Well, in this offseason, you work on those things. And then the question is, how do you go about deploying such throughout the year? I think some of these guys like Medvedev and and Alcarez and possibly Rue too, they're going to be looking a little differently at scheduling in the next three years. You know, which commitments hmm. were the 250s? You know, it's like Rude had a remarkable year. He finished number three. He got to, um, he won three 250s on clay and got to four significant finals. But that's not a year you want to repeat. Yeah. You don't want to repeat a year like that. You don't want to end up with four runner up trophies the next year. Right. Yeah. So, so how do you, or, or just three victories on clay? the 250s so how do you mix that and what's the mix of skills and what are even the things like even uh, okay i'll throw it out doubles go play a 250 and go play doubles also or doubles at indian wells which a lot of players do which by the way greatly aided nadal's improvement playing doubles a little bit well yeah uh, i think both medvedev and, and rude have clear um ob objectives for next year medvedev didn't win a title above 500 level which is uh, really a sharp turnaround for him because he had been doing that easily, uh, collecting a few big titles every year for a couple of years now, uh, especially North American hard courts, indoor hard courts after the U.S. Open. And then for Rude, you're in three big finals. You play Alcaraz in Miami. You play Nadal at Roland Garros. You play Djokovic at the ATP Finals. He's an underdog in all three of those matches. And uh, he looked like an underdog in all three of and the, those And the U.S. Open. And the U.S. Open oh, also. Oh, sorry. Yes. And, and yeah. the U.S. Open against Alcaraz. Uh, so it, it, um, it, you know, he needs to go from not competing in those matches to competing in those matches. And, uh, and Medvedev certainly in line for um, a bounce back year. But for, for Novak, it's been such a good run. I mean, really since Madrid. Right. I mean, how much better could this year have been? And we don't want to get into it. We want to save some of it for just the year in review. But this uh, this cemented for me, this title cemented for me that Djokovic did just about as much as he could possibly do this year, given his opportunities when he was in the field and when he was able to compete. I would agree with that. I think the only thing that he probably, based on what he could play, where he could play, the only thing he probably would have liked to win that quarter with Nadal at Roland Garros. Everything else was like, that's nice. These are good titles. Rack them up. Win some more. All good. But, but uh, that was the only that was the only gap in the in. He the... might have liked to have won that Paris Masters, <laughs> knowing him. Oh, so there um, is. So he'll, he'll always not have Paris. Yeah. And both yeah. the tournaments. What's really cool to me is let's put Rafa aside for just a second because Rafa is his own beast and he's unto his own. And right now he's the leader in Grand Slam tally. What I think is emerging is Novak Djokovic, just this sort of god of, of tennis. And then around him are these contenders who are in matches with him, particularly in best of three, are just one point, two point, three point, five points away from pulling off the victory. And that includes Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Runa, who, who actually did beat him. It's just this circle of young guys who are a Fritz, 
who are just this close. So who's going to be able to really contend, if any of them, next year? That's a great question. That gets to the whole margins and pressure play and blinking and skills. And is it supposed to be that close? Like, is it, you know, that's, that's, I think that was kind of intriguing for Novak of this, uh, the format of a two out of three indoors on a fast surface. You know, there's some different than, than the majors, but a certain type of zeroed in focus to it all, a real, you know, high noon kind of quality to Mm -hmm. a lot of tennis. And so we're going to see when, as these guys develop, it's not about, they don't want to just be eking out a margin. They want to be like disposing of Novak, but what skills are they going to have to do that? He's waiting. You know, yeah, I think Rafa is in a different kind of silo because the way he competes mm-hmm. and, when he, and and even his playing style, it's a different kind of thing. There's something, I think it's going to be, I want to do some research and talk with some of my source experts about the Novak genius. Cause it's going to be, like I said, in the last show, it's going to come more visible with Federer gone. You know, he's going to be, oh, what's been Novak's genius now? Because there's a lot of attention lavished to Federer's. Yes. So now, now instead of looking, now, now Novak is no longer the, 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 third, the third one, perceptually. Great he's, point. He's, he hasn't been the third one for a long time performance-wise. I mean, you look at his slam, over, slam total since 2011. He's won more than the other two, but he hasn't occupied as much. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like a house and Roger, the older brother, he's gone off to college. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good analogy. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah, I like off. it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that point. Uh, Amy, I'm willing to give an opinion on, on your question. Please love to hear it. I think developmentally with this version of Djokovic, Alcaraz can get there. Runa can get there. The rest would need some decline from Novak. They would need a little bit of decline, which is okay. I mean, at the end of the day, no, uh, a Novak Djokovic talent comes around one or two times, if that, you know, every couple decades. Like, it's okay that some of these other guys are just not Novak and will never be. Um, so that's, that's how I view it. Most of them would need some decline. A couple of them might actually get to that point where they can, where they can uh, reach that level. So you're banking on teen youth because teen youth has shown you some explosiveness that the more, the more twenties guys have kind of like how maybe incremental, but not breakthrough. How much better can, how much your question is, how much better can Ruder Medvedev really get? That means they might get some erosion from Novak. And that's just mean that we're not talking about who's winning slams. We're just talking about even yet toppling Novak. Whereas you see it's a little more in, Alcarez and Runa's own hands. It's in their hands because they have because their skills. Explosiveness and completeness. Right. I think well, you know, there there are there are weaknesses with a lot of that original next gen kind of players. Like most of them have great strengths and then some holes. And uh, what I really love about Alcaraz and Runa is those holes are pretty hard to find. And they're young, and they're only getting. I mean, when I think of what Runa and Alcaraz are going to be physically intact and skillfully in four years. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah it's, it's just funny. It's just funny the way the game goes so quickly. I mean, we watched, we watched so many of these generations go through. We watched, you know, like the, the Federer peers, like, yeah, Leighton Ewitt, Andy Braddock, and then Burdick and Sangha and, 
and Nishikori and Milos Raonic, <laughs> just like one after another, these, you know, Dimitrov, these guys just kind of surface and they get their, they get their win at a smaller tournament. I mean, I don't know. I'm curious to see Here's what I'll throw at Nick Kyrgios for what it's worth. Mm -hmm. uh, easily. I mean, this could be controversial, but we can go out with the bang. Nick Kyrgios level was top five this year. And the stats will flesh that out. My, you know, one of the best stats, I think, in, in all of tennis, win percentage. Nick Kyrgios, fourth in, the, in, in 2022. Anyway, uh, right now, it's all about Novak Djokovic, <laughs> who, goes into, <laughs> who goes into this offseason as the ATP Finals champion for a sixth time. Uh, plenty of off-season chatter here in review coming up. Probably go back to some Federer stuff at some point. Uh, but that'll do it for this episode of 3. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of 3.